0: Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your word is trustworthy and true. And we indeed pray that as we read your word this morning, that you would enable me neither to add to it or to subtract from it, and that you would help us all to take these words to heart and live rightly as we wait for Jesus to return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the issue today is evil. And in particular, the defeat of evil. And there's no doubt, I think, that evil is a reality that touches the lives of every single one of us in this room. Life in our world is characterized by evil. You just have to turn on the news each week and you see a world full of evil. Islamic State is there, murdering thousands, driving millions from their homes. People smugglers take advantage of the refugees as they flee. We see abortion of millions of babies every year, same-sex marriage, the imprisonment of those who oppose it. Our world is full of evil. Closer to home here in Malaysia, it's not, not much different. Corruption uh, infests our society at every level. Uh, We fear theft all the time because we have to put our locks on all of our doors. We see oppression of foreign workers, low pay, bad conditions, factory workers, maids. You you go home on the roads, you see selfishness, you see speeding, police looking for bribes, and of course the ever-present disease of greed. Greed that fills our nation. In our personal lives, we struggle with evil. We struggle with lust, with pornography. We we lie, we're dishonest to those who are closest to us. And then there is the epidemic of pride, or face as we call it here in Malaysia, which rears its head all the time. Everywhere we look, evil rears its ugly head and so it's no wonder that we and our world longs for evil to be defeated that's why we have UN war crimes commissions it's why we have relatives calling for justice at the law courts it's why people parade in Bursa rallies we long for evil to be defeated and that could not be more true of Christians who long to see evil judged, God's people vindicated, and Christ receive the glory he deserves. Well, our topic this morning, the defeat of evil, is actually the theme that runs all through these, these final chapters of the book of Revelation from chapters 16 to 19. We, we saw the prelude last week, if you were here with the, the seven angels with their seven bowls of God's judgment. And we saw at the end of chapter 16, all the forces of evil gathering together for that final assault at Armageddon. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl Representing God's final judgment and evil was defeated. We read in uh, chapter 16 verse 19, God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. But as we uh, come here to chapters 17 to 20 over the next few weeks, I like to think of it as a bit of like an action replay. See, John wants us to dwell in detail on the destruction of evil as represented by Babylon. Now, you may remember, you've probably forgotten, but back at the Football World Cup, uh, Harry Kuehl, the Australian, scored that wonderful goal, that half volley. It was pretty much the only highlight of Australia during the whole World Cup. Uh, At least we were there, though. Uh, The next week... You saw replay after replay after rela- replay from every different angle of that goal, from above, close up, from the sideline. We wanted to celebrate that, that marvellous event in detail because there was nothing else to celebrate in the rest of the World Cup. <laughs> and it's a bit like that as we come here to Revelation 16 to 19, we look at Evil and the destruction of evil, first from one angle, then from another, then in close up. John wants us to get a good look at evil. Chapter 18, we will see the world mourning over the defeat of evil. Chapter 19, we will see the celebration of the saved. Chapter 20, we will see the climactic victory. But just look where this uh, section will end. In chapter 19 and verse 1, the saints will sing... Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are just and true, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. In our passage today, God wants us to dwell on the defeat of evil. And we're going to see three things this morning. Firstly, the embodiment of evil so that we may not be seduced. Secondly, the limited reign of evil, so that we may not marvel at it. And finally, the imminent destruction of evil, so that we will not side with it. Firstly then, the horrifying embodiment of evil. And uh, we're at verses 1 to 6. In these verses, we're introduced to this great prostitute, Babylon. We read of her in uh, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. We see here evil embodied in a great prostitute. And it's immediately obvious who we're to understand this prostitute to be. Uh, This prostitute is seated on many waters and everyone knew that the ancient city of Babylon, which we read about in our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 51, was built on many waters. The Euphrates River ran into the city and it was divided into a series of canals that brought great wealth to the city. Uh, the prostitute is named as much in verse 5. Do you see it, it says, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, Babylon the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations and if you know your old testament as john's readers did that great city babylon stood for godless proud humanity working together to rebel against god At Babel, do you remember Genesis chapter 11, humanity in their pride gathered together to to build a tower to the heavens, their aim to to dethrone God and make a name for themselves. Uh, Later in the Bible, it would be Babylon, of course, who in its proud arrogance would come against the people of God, who would exile Judah, destroy Jerusalem, loot and burn the temple... (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in his proud arrogance would declare in Daniel 4.30, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Babylon, the prostitute, is the symbol of proud, godless, self-exalting humanity in rebellion Against God. And in due course, in Revelation, this great prostitute Babylon will be contrasted with another woman, another city, Jerusalem, God's bride, the the wife of the Lamb, we will see in chapter 20, verse 11. And so, if the church is Christ's faithful bride, then the prostitute Babylon represents all faithless pagan idolatry. Rome in John's day. And every self exalting, Christ denying, anti Christian city that has existed ever since. But I guess here in John uh, in Revelation seventeen, one to six, God wants to use Babylon the embodiment of evil to paint for us a horrifying picture of what evil is really like. And there's a few things here. First, we look at her appeal. Do you see in verse 2, she is is alluring. She is seductive. Uh, Verse 2, with her, the the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of her sexual immorality, the dwellers on the earth have become drunk uh, the image of sexual immorality is used all through the old testament for spiritual idolatry spiritual prostitution and so hosea the prophet if you remember was ordered to marry a prostitute to show in the most vivid terms the spiritual adultery of israel and so also the prostitute babylon she leads all the nations into spiritual prostitution, worshipping false gods. But do you notice how alluring, how appealing this prostitute is? All the kings of the earth come and commit adultery with her. All the dwellers of the, world, of the earth come and dr- are drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality she leads the whole world astray from the kings at the top to the people at the bottom everyone verse three he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness and i saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names had seven heads and and ten horns Uh, Like the the church in chapter 12, verse 6, this prostitute, this anti-Christian city, it's in the desert. And where is she seated? Well, she's on no less than the, the beast, full of blasphemous names, seven heads, ten horns. What does it remind you of? It's the same beast that we've already met in chapter 13. They're also uttering blasphemies against God. The beast is what color? She's, it's scarlet, the same colour as the dragon. So John is building up for us here a picture of evil. We have the dragon, the devil, the Satan, the serpent, chapter 12. The devil who, who empowers the beast. The political empires arrayed in opposition to God. And on the beast rides the prostitute, Babylon the pinnacle, the embodiment of evil in a city. Here is the embodiment of evil, proud, arrogant, blasphemous, leading the world astray to spiritual prostitution, her alluring appeal. But notice next how attractive she is, her attractive appearance. Verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Uh, this is no cheap tart. She's high class. She's, she's attractive. She wears purple and scarlet, the colors of luxury. She holds a golden bowl. And the men drool over her. The kings of the earth run to her. This is Moulin Rouge, if you have seen that. And so here is evil, immoral, blasphemous, idolatrous, materialistic. And it's all so attractive. It's all so appealing. Now, we need to understand that the people of John's day would never have thought of Rome as a prostitute they, they would have gloried in her wealth. They would have rejoiced in her religion. She was so attractive. Rome was the, the pinnacle of ancient civilization, at the world of that time. And, and the world of today, the anti Christian world of today, it's the same, isn't it? Evil seems so attractive, it's so alluring, it promises so much pleasure. And so our world drools over evil. We run to it. We rejoice in evil. We exult in evil. But John wants us to see evil for what it is. Appealing, yes. Attractive, yes. But an abomination. Point C, her abominable acts. John wants us to see evil so that we will not be seduced. By evil, Just look how she's described there again in verse 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. In John's day, prostitutes wrote their names on their heads. And so does this one, Babylon the Great. Here is evil exalting in its greatness, arrogant, self-exalting, Christ-denying. And isn't that the world in which we live in? As people proudly reject God, live for themselves, it's also proud. I'm a free thinker. Secondly, she's filled with sexual immorality. And as in the Roman Empire then, so it is Today when people in their their arrogance reject God as their creator, the God who created marriage between a male and a female as a lifelong union, when they reject God, well, what's the first thing to go? (laughs) Sexual morality. Our world is full of sexual immorality. Same-sex marriage, LBTI, sex outside of marriage, adultery, pornography, rape, Indeed, our world glories in such things. Same-sex marriage is an advance. Websites, you will see, will glamorise adultery. Pornography is not just on X-rated websites. Sensual materials in our faces every day, in magazines, in movies, in advertising. Everywhere we look, we see the prostitute a world that rejects the true God and so worships sex instead. Do you see evil for what it is, sexually immoral? Well, thirdly, hand in hand with sexual immorality, you notice comes materialism. The woman is adorned in scarlet. She has gold and jewels, precious jewels all around We'll see a lot more of this materialism in chapter 19. (laughs) But briefly now you see a world that rejects God turns not only to sex but to money. (laughs) Bigger houses, better cars, newer iPhones, more luxury, more comfort. Do you know Malaysia plans to build another 13 new shopping centres next year? As if we didn't have enough already. (laughs) And again, it looks so alluring. It looks so attractive. John wants us to see our godless world for what it is. Pure evil. Spiritual prostitution. As Jesus himself said, you cannot serve both God and money. And fourthly, do you notice how evil is embodied by persecution? we've already seen the prostitute sits on a beast full of blasphemous names, mocking God and his people. And it makes sense, as Christians stand against the world, against its immorality, against its materialism, well, persecution is inevitable. The people of God are always a stench to the people of Babylon. Just look at the same-sex marriage debate. If you stand for marriage, what will happen? Abuse, ridicule, slander. The world mocks Jesus and it mocks his followers in the workplace, in the media, in the home. And of course, it doesn't just stop with mocking and blasphemy, does it? As we read in verse 6, it often leads to physical persecution as well. What is this woman like? She is drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Our world seeks to silence those who will testify to Jesus, even if it means murdering them. And we see it. It's a reality. ISIS beheads Christians in Syria. Boko Haram does the same in Nigeria. And here in Malaysia it happens too, doesn't it? You'll never read it in the Star, of course. But what happens to the many Malays who convert to Christ? It does happen, I'll tell you, persecution, imprisonment, and in some cases death. Have you seen evil for what it is? Appealing, attractive... But abominable. John wants us to see evil so that we are not seduced. Have you been seduced by evil? Have you given in to this tide of sexual immorality? Have you taken hold of materialism for yourself? Have you silenced your testimony to Jesus? for fear of persecution. Here is Babylon, the embodiment of evil, self-exalting, immoral, materialistic, persecuting rebellion against the true and living God. Do you see our world for what it is? Or have you been seduced? Point one, the horrific embodiment of evil. Point two then, the limited reign of evil. Now John wants us to see here that evil is not permanent so that we will not marvel at it. Have a look at verse 6b. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman. And of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Uh, as John sees this woman in all her luxury and magnificence, he marvels. But he's quickly rebuked by the angel. The world marvels at evil. We see that in verse 8. Have a look at verse 8. The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. The world marvels at evil the world is impressed by evil but God's people must not be and so to stop us from marveling at evil God wants us to see the limited reign of evil have a look at verse 8 the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit And go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. The beast here is presented to us as a counterfeit of God and his Christ. If you flick back to chapter 1 and verse 4, look how God is described. Grace to you. And peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. God, the eternally present one, his name Yahweh means what? I am. God is eternally present. But in contrast, the beast, he was, he is not, he is to come. It's a parody of the lamb as well. Chapter 1, verse 18, we will read of the lamb. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. What of the beast? The beast was, verse 7, and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. Indeed, back in chapter 13, verse 3, we read of the beast. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they follow the beast. He's a counterfeit of God is a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see in this description here, was, is not, is to come, a few things. Firstly, we see that evil has a way of rising again and again and again in history. We start to think the beast is done. And then he rears his ugly head all over again. In John's day, there was Nero who persecuted the church. And when he died, well, what happened? A few years later, domination would come and do the same thing, persecute the church. Another Nero. Sometimes you'll hear people in our world saying, oh, it's all basically good. We're heading to a golden age of good where everything's going to be perfect. It's all rubbish, isn't it? World War I, the war to end all wars. And then what happened? Well, evil rose up again in World War II. And then in the Vietnam War, and now all the wars that we see on the news, ISIS, for example, evil has a way of rearing its ugly head again and again and again and again, and the world marvels and the world marvels and the world marvels again and again. But the angel says to John, Why do you marvel at evil? Don't be impressed. Evil has its time, and then evil is destroyed, finally and completely. Verse 8, what is the beast going to do? He is about to rise and go to destruction. John wants us to get this. Evil's reign is limited. Evil will come to an end. And so he pauses there in verse 9, to call us to a mind of of wisdom. And this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other is not yet come. And when he does, he will remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. Now, John is helping us here to identify the beast, if you like, in his day. He all but spells out R-O-M-E, Rome. The seven heads are seven mountains. As it was said, Rome was the city of seven hills. It was built on top of seven mountains. We're told in verse 10, the seven heads also stand for seven kings, who were they? I bet you were as confused as I was when I first read this passage. You can imagine, people have all kinds of ideas about this. Is it Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero? The sixth being Vespian, and the seventh Titus? Domination number eight? The repeat of Nero? Maybe. Probably not. You have to skip three kings to get that, you know. Much more likely here, the numbers are being used symbolically as the rest of the book of Revelation. Seven, the number of perfection. Ten, the number of completeness. And if that's right, John is saying to us, look, we're now at number six. And in verse 10, the seventh's only going to remain a little while. Even the eighth, it too will go to destruction. In other words, Evil's reign is limited. It may keep rearing its head again and again and again and again, but evil will have its time and then it will go to destruction. It will get its just deserve. Now the same point is made again with those horns in uh, verses 12 to 14. And the ten horns that you saw, they're ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Now, again, people have all kinds of ideas. Who are these ten kings? Is it the the governors of the ten provinces of Rome? Maybe, maybe not. They're kings. Is it, the, is it the kings of the conquered territories who, who lay down their crowns to the, to the emperor of Rome? Maybe, maybe not. But just notice how they work here. They're of one mind. They give their authority to the beast, most likely ten, the number of completion. Here we have presented for us the complete forces of evil gathering together once more to make war against the Lamb. And how long is it going to last for? Have a look at verse 12. How long will the ten kings receive their authority? One measly hour. And then they're defeated. John wants us to see the limited reign of evil, so that we will not marvel at it. Do you marvel at evil? Does ISIS to you seem like an irresistible force that will never be defeated? Does the same-sex marriage lobby in the West seem like an unstoppable evil? Does the fundamentalism of Islam seem like an impenetrable wall? John wants us to see with the greatest of clarity evil will have its time and then it will be defeated. ISIS will be gone. Same-sex marriage lobby will be gone. Islam's authority will be gone. Do not marvel at evil. Its time will come. So we come finally to point three the imminent defeat of evil, verses 15 to 18. Well, as the chapter closes, John wants us to see the defeat of evil. What will become of this prostitute, the embodiment of evil? Well, God will sovereignly direct events until evil self-destructs and is destroyed. Look at verse 15. The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with the fire. Note here the disunity of evil. Evil has no friends. If you've ever watched The Godfather, which I don't at all recommend, so much more pleasant things to watch. But you see exactly this, don't you? The mafia has no friends. They're constantly afraid that one of their fellow people is going to rise up and kill the other one. Same here, isn't it? When the beast is done with the prostitute Rome, Babylon, he will do away with her. Evil will self destruct And of course, that is what happened. Rome was destroyed, as has been every evil empire throughout the ages. But notice verse 17, how God stands sovereignly behind it all. Why does this happen? For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Do you see? Evil may rage. Evil may seem to win. Evil may, like Rome, have dominion over all the kings of the earth. But evil is not ultimately in charge. God is in charge. Chapter 4, God is on the throne, fulfilling his purpose. While the beast and his supporters may fight and defeat one another, they will never succeed in overthrowing God or the Lamb. Have a look at verse 14, which we skipped over. The ten kings, the, the complete forces of evil gathered together. What do they do? They make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Rome may have thought it was the greatest. The emperor of Rome may have called himself king of kings and lord of lords. But in the end, it is Jesus who wins. Evil will be defeated. The prostitute will be destroyed. The kings will be conquered. And chapter 20 the beast and the dragon will be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is the King of kings, Jesus is the Lord of lords. Jesus wins in the end. And so as we consider the defeat of evil this morning, we must ask the question, whose side are we on? Have we been seduced by evil? Have we marveled at evil? Have we retracted in the face of evil? Are we on the side of the lamb? Or are we on the side of the beast? Whose side are we on well what are those on Jesus side like verse 14 we're told those with him are called and chosen and faithful called they're those who have heard the gospel that Christ died on the cross for their sins that he was raised again as the king of kings and the lord of lords and instead of proud, arrogant rejection of God, they embrace him as their king, as their Lord, as their saviour. Called, chosen. They are those, verse 8, whose names have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Chosen by God before he made everything. God's specially owned people. And they are faithful. They do not yield to evil. They persevere. They are not seduced by evil. They see it for what it is. They do not marvel at evil. They know that its time is near. They do not side with evil. They side with the lamb. We live in a world that exalts itself in arrogant opposition to God. Everywhere you look, you see the prostitute incarnate again sexual immorality, materialism, persecution. But one day evil will be seen for what it is. Jesus will win. He will defeat the forces of evil once and for all. And we who are called, chosen and faithful, what a glorious day it will be as we share in his victory and we see defeat, evil defeated. So may we join the song of the saved in Revelation chapter 19. What do they sing? Verse 2, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her, with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of of his servants verse 6 hallelujah for the Lord our God the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready praise God for the defeat of evil let's pray The Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us this morning evil for what it is. We thank you for reminding us that evil will have its time and that you have a day when all evil will be finally defeated we thank you that jesus is indeed the king of kings and the lord of lords we long for him to return for evil to be done away with and so in the meantime we pray protect us from seduction help us not to fear in the face of evil Help us to remain your faithful servants until Jesus returns. And we pray this for the glory of your name. Amen.